Well, very pleasant. Good evening to everyone tonight. We're glad you're here and appreciate so much your presence. So those of you who are visiting with us, we're so glad to have you tonight. It's been a good week. It's been a busy week as uh, we've met twice a day and then uh, I think, what, 11? 11 lessons, I think. So appreciate the invitation and the opportunity to join you and be with you and just thank you all so much for inviting me to come. My third time here at Mount Pleasant and I just appreciate what you all do so very, very much. It's good to be with Drew and his family again. Uh, we were first associated in uh, the Metroplex area when he first started working there at Campbell Road and it's just, it's, then you moved off to Bay City and now here and I'm just really glad to uh, be associated with him and appreciate all of the good comments that different ones have made about his work and I, I appreciate the fact that you appreciate his work so very much. And it's good to be with the Goffs again. I just love them dearly. I put their picture on Facebook last night, wrote a little piece about them, and all these people wrote in, you know, about their associating with them. Oh, I knew them in Phoenix. I knew them in Houston. I knew them here in Arkansas and different places. And So I read some of those to Brother Leon at lunch, and then Sister Alma got in the car, and, and uh, Brother Leon wanted me to read them all again. <laughs> so I read them all again. But uh, so many people around the country appreciate them and love them, and they've touched so many lives uh, for good. And they've touched mine. Obviously, they've touched yours. And I just love them and appreciate them so much and thank them for the work that they do together and the encouragement they are to so many people. Enjoyed being with many of you uh, eating and visiting uh, around a table. And I've enjoyed that this week. Thank you all for your hospitality and your kindness. Enjoyed that very much. By the way, if uh, Brother Kendall asks you to go with him sometime to eat, I want to tell you, he takes you to the high pollutants places, I believe. I mean, you better dress up when he takes you out to lunch. He took me out to the best hamburger in Texas today for lunch. A place that just has such a unique name, Burger and Fries. That's the name. In a gas station. So I tell you what, Brother Kendall invites you to lunch. Dress up. You're going somewhere, someplace pretty special. I love that. Turn in your Bibles, if you will, tonight to 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 7. 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 7. As soon as you see it, you're going to know it by heart. Paul writes and he says, For we walk by faith and not by sight. Do you know how easy it is to say that? Do you know how easy it is to preach that? Do you know how hard that is to live that? For we walk by faith and not by sight. You know, the Bible presents a series of unforgettable walks. You don't get very far in the book of Genesis, and the Bible says God walked in the garden in the cool of the day looking for Adam and Eve. 
There was the hard walk of Abraham up Mount Moriah with his son in tow. And every step taken by the old man was excruciatingly painful because Abraham knew what God had asked him to do there. And then there was the walk of Moses and the Israelites on dry ground that previously had been covered in water, the Red Sea. And then how about Joshua's triumphant walk with the army of Israel around and around and around the walls of Jericho? In the New Testament, I read of a couple of disciples. And they're walking down the road to Emmaus. And a stranger joins them. And the stranger happened to be the resurrected Jesus. And they said, were not our hearts burning within us as we walked on the road? There was Saul's interrupted walk as he was heading to Damascus with papers in his hand. Changed his life. There was the Savior's walk from the Praetorium to Golgotha. It was a walk that changed your life and mine. And how many times is the Christian life compared to a walk? Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 1. 1 Thessalonians 2 and verse 12. Walk in a way worthy of the gospel of Christ. Walk. But I think one of the most unforgettable walks in all of Scripture is what I want to talk to you about tonight. And it was the night that the Apostle Peter decided to get out of the boat and go for a walk on the water. It was an unforgettable walk because of what he was walking on. It was an unforgettable walk because of who he was walking to. But when Peter got out of that boat and began to walk on the water, I see it as an invitation for all of us to step out of our comfort zone and walk by faith. An invitation to do with the help of God what you and I cannot do on our own. An invitation to live, 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 7, we walk by faith and not by sight. I think there's times when individuals need to step out of their comfort zone and take God by the hand and go for a walk. I think there's times when churches need to step out of their comfort zone and take God by the hand and go for a walk. Does it involve risk? Yes, it does. Does it involve fear? You know it does. Does it involve faith? Every single time. But ladies and gentlemen, there is one thing for sure. If you want to walk on the water, the first thing you have to do is get out of the boat. My Bible is open to the 14th chapter of Matthew. Matthew chapter 14 and beginning in verse 22. Matthew 14 beginning in verse 22. Immediately, 
he made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side while he sent the crowds away. After he had sent the crowds away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. And when it was evening, he was there alone. But the boat was already a long distance from the land, battered by the waves, for the wind was contrary. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea. When the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and they said, It is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, Take courage, it is I. Do not be afraid. Peter said to him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, Come. And Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came toward Jesus. But seeing the wind, he became frightened and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and took hold of him and said to him, You of little faith, why did you doubt? When they got into the boat, the wind stopped. And those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, You are certainly God's Son. You know, they were only crossing the Sea of Galilee. And Jesus, wanting to be alone, had sent them on ahead of him. Which was no problem for the likes of Peter and Andrew and James and John. They were fishermen by vocation. They would have known every square inch of, of this body of water. And all of the other disciples were Galileans, which meant that undoubtedly they had crossed the Sea of Galilee many, many times. But this particular night was going to be different. The Bible says that a storm blew in. And it was not exactly a minor squall of a storm. Verse 24 says, The boat they were in was battered by the waves. The word there literally could be translated tormented. The boat was tormented by the waves. In fact, John 6 says, same occasion, John said they have been rowing for three to four miles against a strong wind. And it's getting late. It's somewhere between 3 o'clock in the morning and 6 o'clock in the morning. And by this time, the disciples are worried. Not just about making it to the other side, as much as they were worried about staying alive. And that's when they saw the shadowy figure of a man walking towards them. Now, verse 26, just like you and I, they were convinced, they were convinced they were seeing a ghost. It says that. In fact, they cried out in fear. They were terrified. I read somebody that was very critical of them. And, and, and this person wrote about, how could the disciples not know it was Jesus? How could they not have known it was Jesus? And I thought about that a little while, and I thought, you know, how often do you and I find ourselves 
terrorized by some fear in our life and we find ourselves battered, tormented by the waves of turmoil and trouble and the trials of life and all of a sudden we can't recognize the presence of God and the nearness of God with us any better than could they. So maybe we shouldn't be so quick to criticize them. But what's Jesus doing? And why is he doing it? In other words, what is his motive? Mark, hold your finger here. Mark adds a little element that Matthew doesn't. In Mark 6 and verse 48, Mark makes it even more intriguing. Mark 6 and verse 48. Listen to what he adds. Mark 6, 48. Seeing them straining at the oars, for the wind was against them, at about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. Now here's what I want you to see. And he intended to pass them by. You ever notice that? Mark says he intended to pass them by. What's that all about? What does that mean? You know, there are certain defining moments in Scripture where God presents himself to man in a striking kind of way to communicate an unforgettable, ungetoverable message. I think of the Old Testament. God put Moses in the cleft of the rock while my glory passes by. On another occasion, God told Elijah to stand upon the mountain, for the Lord is passing by. Here comes Jesus walking on the water, intending to pass them by. Pattern? Well, I don't know about that. But I know that in each of those cases, it was critical that God get their attention. So whether God appears in a burning bush, like we talked about the other night, or the quaking of a mountain as in Sinai, or the walking on the water, this is God revealing Himself Revealing divine power and revealing divine presence, this is God doing something that only God can do. So before Jesus ever takes these men further in this ministry, he has to get it, he has to get their attention in a striking way, in a way they would never forget. I think he succeeded. I think he got their attention. Twelve disciples in a boat filled with confusion and wonder and disbelief and awe and paralyzing fear. And then one of them, one of them, recognizes the presence of God. And suddenly, he had an idea. Peter decided to go for a walk. So here's what I want to do in the remaining minutes. I want to take this passage in 2 Corinthians 5, 7. We walk by faith and not by sight. And I want to join it with the scene that we have just read in Matthew chapter 14. Because what you find in Matthew 14 is a commentary on 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 7. Matthew chapter 14 is going to help us understand what it means to walk by. 
So I leave you tonight with four themes, four facts of what it means to walk by faith from this passage of Jesus walking on the water. Four facts of walking by faith. Number one, if you're going to walk by faith, the first thing you have to do is get out of your boat. If you're going to walk by faith, the first thing you have to do is get out of your boat. You know, there's some scenes that artists have tried to recreate in which they really haven't done a very good job. Leonardo da Vinci was a great artist. And you have seen his painting of the Last Supper in many different places. But I will tell you, every time I see da Vinci's painting of the Last Supper, I smile. Because it's so wrong. Number one, he's got them all seated Western style. If you look closely at the painting of the Last Supper, he's got them all seated Western style like we sit. That's not how they did it back then. But the other part of that is, he's all got them seated on the same side. You notice that? A friend of mine, one of these guys, every congregation has them, I guess, one of these guys always has a joke. And he calls me up one day and he says, uh, Wilson, he says, you know what the last thing said at the Last Supper was? I said, I have no idea. He said, Jesus said, fellas, if you want to get in the picture, you've got to get on this side of the table. <laughs> okay, Jim. <laughs> okay, got it. So I think of that when I see that painting. Or I see the painting. I have seen paintings of Jesus walking on the water. And Jesus is in this long, flowing gown, robe. And the moon is out. And He's walking along on this glassy surface of the sea. And I'll tell you, it was not anything like that. Matthew 14 tells us this was a storm. A terrifying storm. And put yourself in Peter's place. In the midst of this storm, and you can only imagine the size of the waves and the strength of the wind and the dark of the night, put yourself in Peter's place. The Lord is passing by and He's issuing you an invitation to step out in faith. And at the same time, you're scared to death. So you got a choice. Do I get out of the boat onto the water or do I stay in the safety of the boat? The boat represents the safe and secure and comfortable place. The water is rough and the waves are high and the wind is strong. And if I get out of the boat, I can think of all kinds of things that could happen and none of them are good. I might not make it. I might fall. I might fail. I might drown. But on the other hand, if I don't get out of the boat, there's 100% certainty that I'll never walk on the water. You say, what are you talking about? Where, where are you going with this? What's the application? Well, here it is. Every one of us, every one of us has a boat. Your boat represents what's safety to you. Your boat represents your security. We see kids sometimes, they'll have a security blanket. Blanket. And we'll look at that and we'll think, oh, how cute. Don't you understand adults have the same thing? 
Jesus said it's where you are tempted to put your trust. In Matthew chapter 6, he says, For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And for some people, their security is in their money. As long as I've got enough money in the bank, then I feel secure. And that becomes my boat. For other people, it is vocation. It is their job. We talk about job security. For other people, it's relationships. It's, it, it, it's family. And that becomes their boat. That's their security. For other people, it's life success. On one occasion, Jesus asked a man, we don't know his name, we simply call him the rich young ruler. And using this analogy, Jesus' message to him was, you need to get out of your boat. And he didn't want to get out of his boat because he had a really nice boat. <laughs> but each of us have one. We have something in which we feel very secure. And sometimes churches have boats. Sometimes a church building can become a boat. And I've seen churches where it's just, it's all about a physical structure. It's all about a physical plan. It's all about keeping that up and keeping that going. And, and that's, that's all their work involves. With some churches, it's just tradition. This is the way we've always done it and we ain't ever going to change. doesn't matter. You could do other things biblically and scripturally, but we get stuck in the boat of tradition. Sometimes saving money becomes more important than saving souls. That becomes a boat. But I've noticed something about people and their boat. Number one, people like to stay in it. And number two, they don't like it when somebody starts rocking it. But sometimes it's the Lord that rocks our boat. Sometimes it's the Lord that sends the storm. And sometimes it's the Lord who stands off away from the boat and says to you and to me, come, come over here to where I am. So that's number one. If we're ever going to walk on the water, the first thing you have to do is get out of your boat. Secondly, if we're going to walk by faith, we have to understand this point. If we're going to walk by faith, doesn't mean the storm's just going to go away. Doesn't mean that. Just because I walk by faith doesn't mean that my life challenges are now just going to disappear. I, I, I've met people like that. They're going through some really tough stuff. And their mindset sometimes is, Lord, I've, I've, I've got great faith. I'm, I'm being faithful to you. Why? Why is this still happening? You notice the storm didn't go away just because Peter got out of the boat. And by the way, let's back that up a little bit. In my mind's eye, as I play this out, I see Peter going over to the side of that boat. And I see 22 eyes locked on him. They are locked on him because these other guys have seen him shoot off his mouth one too many times. And I'm thinking, they're thinking, how, how far is he going to take this one? You know? And I see Peter as he gets to the edge of the boat and I see Jesus standing over here on the water and I see Peter putting one foot over the side and I tell you, I see him gripping on with everything that he's got. 
And then he throws the other leg over and I still see him gripping on with everything he's got. And then Peter does something that is off the charts, religious. He lets go. He lets go. And he abandons his life and puts it into the hands of Jesus. And for a moment, Peter is beaming and Jesus is smiling because the Bible says Peter walks on the water. And then it happens. Verse 30. But seeing the wind, he became frightened and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. I wrote down the words reality check. All of a sudden, he realizes what he's done. He's on the water in the middle of a storm, in the middle of the night, and the boat's over there, and he can't reach it anymore. And I wonder if the thought process was something like, maybe this wasn't such a good idea after all. You know, it's easy to read that verse, walk by faith and not by sight. But that's scary to do that. There's a guy by the name of Larry Lawden who wrote a book about risk management and business. He makes a really good point that has a scriptural application, a biblical application. But he says, we live in a society that is so fear-driven, we suffer risk lock. It's like traffic gridlock in that we become so afraid we are unable to take the necessary steps that would energize our lives. We're afraid. But then again, ladies and gentlemen, I hope you understand this about life. Everything is risky. Everything. I read the other day that on average, in emergency rooms across the country, on average, 25,000 people are treated every year for injuries sustained when they fell out of bed. There you go. It's risky going to bed. You might fall out. One of my teenagers, I, told, I read that statistic, one of the teenagers, they said, oh, see, that's why I need to stay in bed, you know. <laughs> when my granddaughter was about eight years old, I think she, she, she's, uh, she's about 16, 17 now, but when she was about eight years old, I had a meeting in Lexington, Kentucky, and I took her with me that week. We had a blast. And we went one day, we spent a whole day at Kentucky Horse Park, and if you like horses, that's the place to go. And she did. She did. And so we just we spent a good part of the day there. Just had a blast. And she said, "I want to ride. I want to go on the horse ride. I want to go. I want to ride ride a horse." And so we went over to the stables and we signed up for the afternoon ride. And so we we uh, we showed up on time. We went over there. And when I went over there for the ride, they gave me about three sheets of paper. And said, you'll have to read all of this, initial, 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 and sign. Well, it was three pages of information about how riding this horse can kill you. And it talked about all kinds of stuff, that horses are dangerous and horses can be spooked by... It even said horses can be spooked by a tornado. Like, I'm going to ride a horse in a tornado. Yeah, that makes good sense. But, any, you know, snakes and cars. I mean, it, cut, it tried to cover everything. That if you ride this horse, you can be killed. But if you initial this and sign this, then we won't be liable and you can't sue us. And You know, you know how that goes. 
Oh, I just looked at that and signed it. I just signed it. Okay. So they divided the group up, about 20, 20 of us. They divided us up into those who are inexperienced riders and those who are experienced riders. We lived in the country. We had horses. And so I'm in, the, I'm in the group that has ridden before. And, and, but, but Callie really hadn't ridden much, so she's kind of in the other group. And so they get all of them taken care of first, and then they get all of my group taken care of with one exception. And they came up to me and they said, you're not afraid of horses? I said, no. They said, good, because we have a horse just for you. And I didn't like the way that sounded. And about that time, they brought out of the stable the biggest horse I have ever seen in my life. It was a Belgian. Think Clydesdale. They had to bring me a ladder, a step ladder, and I had to climb three steps just to be able to throw my leg over that horse. They said, now the horse's name is Big Boy. <laughs> Go figure. Big Boy, you're going to ride Big Boy. Now, they said, Big Boy is our, he's gentle. He's really gentle. He's a gentle giant. And he loves to go on rides, but sadly he doesn't get to be ridden very much because everybody's afraid of him but he loves to go on rides, and if you're willing, we're willing, and I said, sure, that's fine. And so I get up on Big Boy, and they take the ladder away, and, and uh, off we went, and in about five minutes, I realized why nobody rides these horses. Because, folks, I had one leg going that way, and I had one leg going that way, because the girth of this horse was so big. And I thought to myself, I have just signed my life away with three pages of everything horses can do to you, and not one time did they mention that you might never walk again. <laughs> you know? You talk about risky. Everything in life is risky. You could argue and say, if I step up to the plate, I might strike out. Yes, you might. The best ones do. But if you don't step up to the plate, you'll never know the glory of hitting a home run either. And if you don't get out of the boat, you'll never know what it's like to walk by faith. And that's true individually and congregationally. Number three, write this down. If we're going to walk by faith, we have to accept those life challenges. We have to accept the risk as the price it takes to grow. The Bible says in verse 30 that Peter became afraid. Did Peter fail? That's really the question. Did Peter fail? Well, it depends upon how you define failure. Did Peter's faith waver? Yes. Did Peter take his eyes off the Lord? Yes. Did Peter sink? Yes. Did Peter cry out and say, Lord, save me? Yes, 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 yes. He did all of those things. And so we get up and preach about that and we say, Peter failed. But I beg to differ. Because ladies and gentlemen, the failure in this passage isn't Peter. The failure in the passage are the 11 guys who sat in the safety of the boat. That's the story of failure. 
Those guys failed privately. They failed quietly. Nobody gets up and preaches about them. The only one who bears the scrutiny of of public examination and failure is the only one who had the courage to get out of the boat. And because he did, he was the only one of the twelve who knew what it was like to walk on the water. And he was the only one who knew the joy of being lifted by the hand of Jesus when he could go no further. Because he got out of the boat, he shared a moment with Jesus. He shared a connection with Jesus that those other guys never had. And why? Because they were too afraid to get out of the boat. You and I will never grow up spiritually until we get out of the boat. Fathers, if we want to lead our children and we want to lead our families as, as God-men of steel and velvet, then we have to get out of the boat. We have to set the example. Moms, if you want to teach and train your children and, and, and be the Deuteronomy 6 parent who teaches your children when they sit in your house and when they walk by the way and when they lie down and when they rise up, then you have to get out of the boat. Elders, you want to do the greatest work in the world for God and His people, then you have to be out of the boat and out front challenging and motivating and casting a vision. Deacons, you will never make an impact until you take your work seriously. Bible class teachers, worship leaders, all of us. It is so easy to just get into the rut of the status quo. When God isn't calling us to the status quo, He's calling us to walk by faith. So what have we said? If we're going to walk by faith, we have to get out of the boat. If we're going to walk by faith, we have to expect challenges. We're going to have to pay that price in order to grow. If we walk by faith, we have to accept those challenges that come to us. And last, if we walk by faith, we can connect with the living God. There's a lot of reasons to get out of the boat. But the number one reason is Jesus isn't in the boat. The water is where Jesus is. And he says, come. Come. Now the problem is we want to comfort code everything. We want to, we want to pretend like we've got this manageable life in which I've got everything under control. And we maintain this illusion. And then God comes along and shakes everything up. Or he lets Satan do it. This same Peter. Jesus said to Peter, Satan has asked permission to sift you like wheat. And he shakes our world. And he rocks our boat. And the whole time, Jesus is standing over here close by and He says, Come. Come unto Me, all who are weary and heavy laden. So maybe it's time that you and I quit making excuses as to why we like to stay in our boat. Excuses as to why we like this comfort zone that we're in. 
And, and the application to this is there's dozens of applications. Think about inviting other people to worship God with you. Philip said to Nathaniel, come and see. Come and see. And we say, well, what if they won't come? What if they reject my invitation? What if they reject me? Well, how will you ever know if you don't get out of the boat? Or hospitality. Well, I'm, I'm so busy. I've got a small house. I, you know, I have to work outside of the home. Maybe when my kids are grown. Maybe when my husband retires. Maybe when we get a nicer place. Hospitality has nothing to do with any of that. When was the last time you opened your home to some Christians here in this church family and had some people in that maybe you haven't had in in a long time? You know, I was in a meeting in College Station, and Chuck Durham was there then. And as I recall, we went into some pretty nice homes that week and visited with some of the folks and all of that. And, 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 and to this day, that's kind of a blur. But one evening, Chuck picked me up at the hotel. We went out. He said, we're, we're going to go eat supper with this young couple tonight. And he said, they're both students at A&M, and, and they probably don't have a lot. And so we went. And sure enough, they lived off campus in this little bitty place. And they had a little bitty table, and it just the four of us around the table was kind of packed in. And they didn't have a lot. But they were so kind and so hospitable. And out of all of those places I went that week, and out of all of those people I put my long legs under tables, that's the one I remember. That's the one I remember. Now, sometimes you've got to be careful with that. Sometimes I'll be in a meeting somewhere, and this young couple will come up and they'll say, Brother Adams, you're coming to our house tomorrow night for supper, and we just got married. You're our first company. And I'm thinking, oh, boy, this is going to be exciting. One young couple said, and they said, uh, you're our first company. Could you bring something? <laughs> I said, what do you want me to bring? They said, a chair. We only have two. <laughs> so I borrowed a chair, you know, so I could have a chair. Uh, another place, I was at this young bride that, that I think I was their first company, and so I sat down, and I noticed there wasn't a lot of food, but that's okay. And we're passing stuff around, and I saw the green peas, and I put some on my plate. And she interrupted. She said, I didn't know how many peas to make. So I made enough for each of us to have ten. <laughs> so I'm looking at the bowl and I'm looking at my plate. And I picked my plate up and I put some back. <laughs> I took too many. But those are the kinds of things you remember. And bless their hearts, they were willing to get out of the boat. Maybe it's teaching a Bible class. Maybe it's participating in a worship service and maybe doing something you haven't done before. I was in a meeting in Lawrenceburg, Tennessee, down on the Alabama border, and when service was over that morning, as soon as amen was said, all of a sudden, I heard this big, booming voice say, Let us all shake hands and be friendly. And I thought, what in the world? So I thought, well, maybe it's a visitor. 
And I came back that night and preached, and as soon as amen was said, I heard it again, this big booming voice, let us all shake hands and be friendly. And I thought, i got to meet this guy. Who is this? So I went over and introduced myself, and he said, my name is Seth McGill. And I said, Seth, it's good to meet you, but I've got to ask you a question. Why do you do that? Why do you do that? And he smiled, and he said, Brother Adams, he said, you know, I can't lead singing. He said, I'm nervous getting in front of people. I can't preach a sermon or teach a class. He said, I just get really nervous even leading a public prayer. He said, so I got to thinking about it. What can I do to serve God? Where's my gift? He said, I decided at the end of every service I could remind my brethren to shake hands and be friendly. That's what he does. To this day, that's what he does. He found his place. Maybe it's an encourager. Maybe that's you. Maybe that's what it is. Maybe it's visiting the sick. Maybe it's going to a funeral home. I heard somebody say one time, I don't go to funeral homes because I never know what to say. Well, join the crowd because I don't know what to say either. But all you need to say is, I love you and I'm going to pray for you. But I'll tell you a little secret. They're not going to remember what you said anyway. But they're going to remember if you showed up. Show up. Show up. Maybe it's helping other people get through stuff similar to what you've been able to get through. And maybe you're the one to help them. I'm telling you, the application, dozens of things. If we're going to walk by faith and not walk by sight, then we're going to have to make the decision, I've got to get out of my comfort zone. And that's what I learned from the lesson of Jesus walking on the water and saying to Peter, Come, come unto me. We sing the song of invitation. If you're not a Christian, if you haven't obeyed the gospel of Jesus Christ, why don't you become one? Be buried in baptism. There's no reason not to. If we can help you in any way, we would invite you to come while we stand and sing. Brother, all twain.